Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Often, the soft skills... Yeah, that's right. The soft skills are the hardest to learn. As a business owner, love it or hate it, you're a salesperson too. And sales is all about performance. And for you to perform, there must be a structured method behind your technique, behind your technique of selling your best self. John Rocker, he's a director of Sydney, Sydney Toyota, but he's by far, in my opinion, the country's best salesperson that I have ever met. John will be giving you direct access to his must-follow rules, which is a breakdown of what he and his team used to close the deal. In this case, it's one of the second biggest investments you're going to make in your life, and that is a car. We'll also take you through John's evolution framework. Yep, it's called evolution framework that he's been using for the last 20 years. It's a written format and why you need to focus on the two pillars of selling, both to the new customer. Yep, that's important, getting new business, but also retaining an old customer so you can do more business with that particular individual. New and retention. So let's get into it. John Rocker, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. I'm not sure if you've been on my show before, but we've done stuff together in the past and Mm -hmm. it's largely been around uh, the John Rocker sales program, how you become (laughs) the best salesman in the country. And I'm going to say straight up to everybody watching this or listening, this dude here, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the best, no, not, not one of the best, has the best sales program that I've ever seen. Just his empathy towards people is incredible. He doesn't need to be. He runs, a, I think, the biggest Toyota dealership in yeah, the Southern yeah, Hemisphere. Yeah. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Sydney, yeah. Sydney Toyota. And Lexus, Lexus, yeah, Sydney City Toyota and Lexus. And I first met John a million years ago. Um, that's right. When he was at Lexus, but... But I, what I didn't realise at the time is he went to the same school as me, mm. um, Good St John's boy. Yeah, uh, John is a bit younger than me because I'm trying to work out how does someone become so good at what they do. What was your influence growing up in Punchbowl? You grew up in Punchbowl. I grew up in Campsie originally. Campsie, Campsie. Well, when we first migrated, because I was born in Spain, as you as yep. you know, uh, we migrated in our first home in Australia was a hostel in Villawood for migrants. Yeah, I'm, my dad. His family, they all say their dad used to take me those big dome-shaped things. That's them, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. They used to feed us with um, Aussie food, baked beans and things that pies. Um, pies. My dad said he couldn't <laughs> believe this pie thing. He goes, what the hell is that? I think we're all wondering the same thing based on what we're used to eating. But, um, yeah, we started there. We migrated from Spain. As I said, I was six when we arrived, just just under six. And um, Guildford was my first high school. 
I remember um, public school it was at the time and I remember being there, not being able to speak the language because we migrated from Spain, went to Germany for 18 months, so I was a little bit of a confused kid, could speak a little bit of German, a lot of Spanish, still do. And then uh, we got to Villawood and I was given a stamp straight off my passport so the teachers were cutting out cardboard um, cutouts for all the students that started school that, that, that year and mine was Juan off the passport, not John. And I'm looking around trying to match the letters. I'm thinking there's nobody here with the name Juan. I'm the only, <laughs> the only fucking one here, right? But two weeks later, the teacher came up and said, uh, we're going to change your badge. We're going to give you a new badge because we're going to give you the Australian version of your name. And it turned out to be John. And when I saw John, there were Johns everywhere. And I just felt like I was part of the club. And for me, that was sort of the beginning That's of, amazing. of fitting in. For a yeah. kid. Yeah. You can remember that. Yeah. I, like it was yesterday. In that period, mm. how did you get brought up? It was unusual because dad, dad had a jewellery business. Dad was a jeweller. Mum was a seamstress. So mum ended up working for Angelo Vidal in Campsy in Beach oh, yeah. Street. So yeah. she handmade suits. That was her craft. Dad was a jeweller. So he opened up a jewellery store in um, Beamy Street, Campsy. Yeah, yeah. That's the main street of Campsy. That's it. And yep. there was a workshop behind it. So he used to do repairs and all that sort of stuff. And I'd finish school and I'd be in the shop. So mum would finish work. What, selling or what? No, just watching what dad was doing when I was young. As I got a little bit older, I started to stand behind the counter and started to speak to people. My sister did as well. I've got a, a, th- a sister three years older than me, Mary, and uh, it was just the four of us that migrated. And it's funny, you know, I think about it today, like mum and dad don't speak really good English. When mum went to Angelo Vidal, she learnt Italian, not English, because <laughs> right? all the Italian people were working there uh, making suits. And dad's English today is not great, but yet, Brave enough to own a business in Beamy Street. I'm thinking, myself, yeah. how the hell did he do that? Repair jewellery, take people's jewellery. But also Beamy Street was, from my point of view, like for a Spanish dude to go looking in the 1970s to put a joint there, Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, particularly a jewellery store because yeah, you didn't yeah. have the Prouds and the Angus and Coots and these guys in those days. So, Well, they weren't big if they were around. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, Dad did that, did a bit of jewellery repair in the background. I'd finish school uh, with my sister and then we'd, we'd end up at the back of the workshop. So when you finished school, John, what would you do? School didn't interest me at all. I, I just wanted to do something else. I had no idea what it was. I thought it was rugby league. I didn't tell my parents at the time, but I told my teachers. I said, look, I want to leave. I'm not playing football anymore. School's useless to me. I want to get into the big bad world. And they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I've got no idea. But I probably would like to sell something. And they said, well, the Bulldogs, who I was playing uh, junior football for, said, well, we've got a couple of sponsors. We've got Rothman's Tobacco at the time. Yep. Yep. And Sutton's Motor Group, who was, oh, yeah. who was a car dealer. Neil Sutton. And, uh, yeah. Or Neil, his father. Yeah, Neil. Neil. Oh, it was Neil, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. Neil. And Dave Cook, Cookie, who was the dealer principal. He's another story. But, um, yeah, I just started there. So they, I went to the club. They said, well, if you like cars, why don't you go and try and sell cars? I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. They said, well, we're going to set you up for the interview. When you get there, the say school something did. positive. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. It's like a careers advisor. Yeah, vocational guidance. Exactly. And she said, look, whatever you do, when you get there, say something positive. I said, okay, I will. Couldn't get a word in. I was talking to the sales manager, guy who taught me a lot, Peter Norbury, my first sales manager, and he wouldn't shut up. And he says to me at the end, he says, you got any questions? I said, no. Um, He says, well, do you think you can do it? I said, no. I said, "I, I know I can do it. He said, great, you're hired. You start tomorrow, right? That was a Saturday. I said, I can't. I'm playing football tomorrow because I'm playing for brothers. 
He said, okay. So he says, I'll tell you something through He told me something during the interview. He said, in six months' time, you'll be smoking if you don't smoke. I said, I don't smoke. He said, do you have a girlfriend? I said, yeah. He said, do you love her? I said, oh, I think so. He said, uh, you're not going to have that girlfriend in six months' time and you'll be smoking. And he was right on both counts. An apprentice in those days would probably earn $17,000 a year. In my first year in the car business, I earned $42,000. And I thought I'd made it and blew every cent of it for the next, I don't know, 10 years <laughs> and sort of worked my way through, yeah, from product or dealership to um, different brands and worked my way through. But I always thought I could sell. Tell me now, was Veronique your girlfriend at the time? No. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> she was later at school. She, yeah. yeah, 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 she was. Actually, no, you're right. She was at school. We broke up. And then uh, we got to back together a few years later. Being your wife. We a bit more mature. And the mother of your children. Yes. And yes. still still your wife, which is a, that in itself is a feat. Well done, Johnny. Yeah, I'm so pretty I, lucky. So, uh, I, okay, so the dude said to you, do you think you can? And you said, no, I know I can. Yeah, I was told well, to say something positive. Well, so but how did you know to say that? Oh, it looks, it's what I felt basically. I don't think it was too hard. I knew a little bit about cars. I was quite confident but shy at the same time. You put me in a room and I'd be – very comfortable with people I knew, put me in front of a crowd and I'd, I'd be the quietest person in the room just listening. So you turn up? Oh, yeah. And you say, yeah. mate, go for it. It was a floor full of salespeople. I remember Peter Norbury, the sales manager, introducing me. He says, this is Michael Neal. Um, and I thought, beauty, this guy's going to mentor me and coach me. He said, you and Michael will be sharing this desk and whoever sells the most amount of cars at the end of the month gets to keep it. What happens to the other dude? You're gone. Gone. Mate, in those days, if you didn't get target selling cars, you just didn't last a month. Yeah. That's what that's the way it was. So is it John, what's do you think it was the pressure of getting your ass burnt that made you become good at what you became? And in other words, out of necessity? Probably more observed from other people, I'd say, because I watched it and it was a pretty different car game in those days. And I used to watch people and and Peter himself told me, he said, Look, you you're not gonna last in this business. You're too nice. And I, and that's been my silver bullet since that day. Because I used to watch these guys and I thought they're putting people in the wrong cars and charging them too, too much. Yeah. yeah, it was just the typical car sales industry that people would imagine is today Yeah, is not what it is today, but it certainly was then. Yeah, the yeah. characters you'd meet. Oh, they were characters. I mean, you and I know some of them, but um, they're, 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 <laughs> I remember there was a bloke up in, yeah, the second-hand car place in, in Ashfield on Parramatta Road there. We won't, he had an Italian surname. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, my God, like uh, – he was my friend, and uh, but I just kept buying cars off him in the early days, and mm. I know I always overpaid, but I but he had this sort of um, attraction about him <laughs> because he was a smooth dresser, smooth yep. talker, yeah, and he was your sort of quintessential car sales guy. Yeah, ran a good business. He ran a good business. I, yeah. don't, I don't know what happened. We sort of lost contact with each other, but I probably bought a dozen cars off him over a period of twelve or so years, and yeah, uh, wow. and I, I I never asked the price. Like I just, uh, just like he'd sell it to me, and I'd say, oh, okay. Like, yeah. Well, that's what a good salesperson does. Yeah. So and how builds, is that builds, work though? Well, he just builds the value in the car. Um, you know, the, the salesperson that goes straight to discount isn't really caring too much about what you think. It's more about what he thinks. He just wants the. It's a transaction. Yeah. Whereas I, I sell with empathy. I, I look at the person. I, I look at what they're driving. I look at what they're wearing. I listen very hard to what they tell me. And then I try and fit a car that suits what I think meets their needs. So uh, tell me about it because it's a, that's a, that's a power of observation, clearly, mm. and and also a, a, the ability to 
put people into a or profile somebody, right? So yeah. are you profiling people? Is that something you've always done, profile somebody? I profile them not when I look at them, but as I speak to them, I pretty much profile them. It doesn't take me too long, but it, it doesn't take a split second either because I think you can really trip up by doing that. I've met people in, you know, thongs and shorts that have been, you know, the directors of Westpac on a weekend because we're seven days a week. Now, you wouldn't expect the director of Westpac to wear thongs, shorts and a T-shirt. So you can't judge them by the cover the minute you meet them. But once you ask the right questions and you really care about who they are, uh, it's pretty simple to work out what they need. Two important words you just used then, the right questions. Mm. You said that rather flippantly in that as if everybody knows what the right questions are. <laughs> That's a that's a different one. I don't care what you're selling, and I don't care whether you're selling it in person. But empathy is a really important factor yeah, in all this. Yeah. What does John Rocker mean as a salesperson, mm-hmm. being empathetic towards the person they're trying to sell something to, or could be you might you might not be you might be trying to build a marketing program on two GB, which mm-hmm. you do mm-hmm. with Chris Smith, and you're trying to talk to a massive audience. Yeah but really what you're trying to do is get them to come and buy a car from you. Mm-hmm. often talk about putting ourselves in the buyer's shoes. And I run a training course with my guys, as you probably know, mm. uh, and we train monthly on it, sometimes weekly. If you go back to what a person thinks about and does before they buy a car and really put yourself in their shoes, they've spoken to relatives, they've spoken to the family car expert, the person they're getting a loan from, so all this, you know, they're going to borrow some money from the in-laws to, to top it up to buy themselves a Lexus as opposed to a Toyota. So once you go through that exercise, your meet and greet at the door when they get to the dealership, from a salesperson's point of view, if you realise what they've gone through just to get to that door and how they're feeling about meeting the shark, which is the salesperson, then I've got a really good picture of what these guys are feeling. I've got a really good picture of what they're thinking. And my job is to change that perception. And then I get to know them. So they don't know who I am. They just think I'm a car salesperson. They walk up and they think he's another shark. We're going to lie to him as much as he's going to lie to us and then eventually we'll buy a car at a cheap price. Right? I go further than that. So I get into their children. If they're carrying a dog, I don't say welcome to Toyota. I pat the dog. My philosophy is that if you're going to sell somebody a car, treat them like you would a guest in your own home and it changes everything. You don't sell anything when you get when somebody comes to your home. You, you, you meet them, you greet them, you treat them well and you Disarm hope they have a good them. evening. Disarm, Disarm them? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Really good point because they do come in and they're all sort of tensed up. and yeah, really, totally. You know, well, this I, guy's I'm like, if I off. walked in your house, I would feel that admittedly. I won't relax. Yeah. Until you say, look, here's a drink, Mark. Yeah. Have something to eat. Take Have a seat. Have you been? What's your week been yeah, yeah, like? Yeah. You know, with, who's that on your arm? Yeah. <laughs> nice dog. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but I'm serious, though. But that's how it is. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. how it is. You sort of you, look, they talk about asking qualifying questions and the rest of it. But I really like to get to know the person because if you start talking about the car and the journey and the price and the options, you're not really learning much. I mean, that's just a product. But what are they going to do with it? How much can they afford? Can they afford a car that they think they can't? Um, I take people for test drives and I'd say, what do you think of the car? And they'd say, yeah, it's okay. And I'm going, shit, well, if it's okay, we're in the wrong car. Mm. What do you mean? Well, I want it to be spectacular. I love it's, it. It's $130,000. So if it's okay, we're probably in the wrong car. Yeah. Why don't we try this other one? Now, if I was a typical salesperson, I might have pushed the issue. But chances are may not have sold the car because eventually they find out it's the wrong car. 
So just flag it up front. It's the wrong car. Let's get out of this car. Let's try this one. What do you think of that? Yeah, God, I'm glad you did that. This is the one. I mean, empathy gets thrown around a lot, okay? Do you take the view that, John, that it's not really a car they're buying but they're buying emotional attributes associated with the car, like status or? Yes, So definitely. Empathy's caring about them, in other words, showing them that you're interested in who they yeah. are, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But then understanding why they came in, they didn't come in to buy a car, they come in to buy status or? A reward. A reward. Could be, a re- especially during COVID. It's a reward. Been through a shit period and want yeah. to reward myself. Yeah. Travel the family. COVID. You know, I work hard. I deserve to drive a Lexus. I'm going to spend my $150,000, $200,000 on a car because I want people to know that I am successful. It's almost like a badge of honour. So I've worked for Mercedes-Benz, BMW, as you know. Yeah. Um, the Lexus customer cares less about the status because they've bought the Mercedes-Benz, they've had the BMW, they've had the Porsche. Now they just want a good, reliable car that's probably the best one to drive of the, of the whole group. But they don't care about the status. So when uh, – I'll give you an example. I had um, – when I was in Lexus in William Street when we first met, I had a customer that went and saw um, one of his clients and it was during the recession that we had to have. He bought a S-Class Mercedes-Benz. This is in the 90s. In the 90s, early 90s. might have been 91. It was 91. That was the year that Paul Keating said it. This is the recession we had to have. Which, by the way, there's a lot of parallels today with yes. that, that period. It was high inflation, as you recall. I can relate. And interest rates went up very high. Yeah. Well, Veronique worked for the bank at the time. 18% was our mortgage and yep. she had the discount yep. staff rate. I remember. And we were writing finance contracts at 26% for cars. Wow. So, so he parks his car, brings in a bottle what sort of, of scotch. Car was it? it was an S-Class Mercedes-Benz. Yep. It would have been about $250,000 in those days. Parks the car, full street of cars, brings a bottle of scotch and his client says, let's drink it together. They finish at the end of the day and there's one car left on the street. It's an S-Class. And he lost his account through that client because he was driving an S-Class. So the reason he bought a Lexus was because he thought, I've changed, I've gone to a Toyota, right, to try and win some of his clients back because they thought he was earning too much money. In the United States, you'd want to deal with him because he drives the S-Class. In Australia, we've got a little bit of that tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm paying him too much. Exactly. Or he's earning too much. Or he's, he's driving a better car than me, right? Yeah, who the hell is he? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Then you've got other clients that say, I'll change the number plates on my car, switch them over to exactly the same car that's brand new, same colour, so nobody knows that I've changed cars. You've got clients that want whistles and bells. And you've got others that say, look, I just want A to B. That's all I want. The, the ones that do their research the most are the ones that you like dealing with. The ones that don't know what they do are the ones that are the, the toughest, I guess. And then you've got the clipboard school teacher. If you're selling a car to a school teacher, they'll come in with a clipboard. They'll ask you a thousand questions. You'll know the answer to most. But if you get a bad salesperson, that's going to be a hard one. But in general, look, I think if you're going to categorise people, I think families is how you categorise. You always think about um, who the buyer is, who's the decision maker. 95% it's the female. Yep. Even if she's not buying the car, she's the one that's uh, going to make this big time. Do you sort of work? towards the the woman? Like do you actually tend to talk to her a bit more? Do you address her or do you let them play the game? Yeah, well, they'll never tell you who the decision maker is, but if there's a female in the room, I can guarantee you it'll be that person, right? <laughs> it'll be her. Yeah. Um, they don't tell you anything. But, yeah, I spend a lot of time with the female. I'll make um, baby chinos for the kids when I'm making a coffee for the parents. Um, kids run around the dealership. They, they, they make the customer 
uneasy because the kids are running around the showroom touching things they shouldn't do. So that makes them nervous and I can't do my job or I can't. It's my chances of selling them a car if they're not relaxed. Yeah. I've got to relax the kids. So what do you do? I'll give them baby chinos. I've got toys in the dealership. I'll give them a car. I'll lay out a small mat. They'll play there for hours. Most dealerships won't. So that's one of the one percenters where you say, I'll just, they're looking over there and I'll say, look, they're okay. They'll be there for hours. If they want another baby chino, which is just the froth of the milk with the chocolate sprinkles, the kids will sit there for hours. Now the parents are relaxed and we can get on helping them buy a car. So the most important thing is to get the the buyers relaxed. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about identifying what are the things that are not relaxing them at the moment. Exactly. Make them feel like they're a guest in your own home. So, you know, people don't come to your home thinking they need to buy something or what's going to ask me or, you know, am I going to have to pay for this? So it's just about, yeah, just making people – It's. We're problem solvers. That's the best way I can describe what I do. People come in with a problem. They've got a car. Usually they finance it. They owe more than what the car is worth. How do I get out of this to buy that one? My job is to make it really easy for them and explain it in really simple terms. Getting back to the female, I'll tell you a quick story. I had a $384,000 Mercedes-Benz in the showroom uh, when I was at Marshalls at Parramatta. And a couple comes in, they've made an appointment to see this car. We've had to move 15 cars to get this car out of the showroom because not a lot of people inquire about this car, but we happen to have one. So the salesperson comes in, they introduce one another, introduces himself to the customer, takes the bloke for a test drive. And we had a little cafe at the time. And I could see that the female had been left behind. So I walked over to her and I said, hi, I think you're Kathy. I'm John. Uh, can I get you another coffee? She said, no, I'm good. I said, um, that's a really nice car that uh, – is it your partner, your husband? It's my partner. Okay. Um, that's a very nice car. Said, um, is it something that he's been interested in for a long time? She said, no, he doesn't really like cars. I said, oh, okay. I said, the car's for you, isn't it? She said, yeah. I said, uh, what are you doing here? Why aren't you in the car? She said, that's a very good question, John. So I've called my salesperson. I said, but you got the wrong person in the car comes back, she jumps in the car, I jump in the car with her and she buys the car. But we couldn't even, she wasn't, we didn't think she was the influence, she was actually the buyer. Just ignored her completely. I think that can happen across the board in any business. We can ignore our customer or our cohort of audiences, whether, mm. um, which includes customers. We can ignore them quite easily. Yeah. And we need to, uh, the power of observation and, and also just going that extra yard. Yes. It's yes. just observing but then going, you've got to put yourself out in limb a little bit because she might have said, listen, who asked you to come and offer me a coffee or something? Yeah. You run the risk. Yeah, absolutely. Of the same, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, uh, but but at the same time, if you don't take the risk, you'll never know. Yeah, and, and, and who's going to say, I could have walked up and said, hey, why aren't you going for a test drive? I, yeah. I just asked for a coffee. All yeah. right. She was very, very rarely, it's a pretty uh, easy question. Uh, and, and a good in to get to know her and why she was sitting there. Because I, I had a feeling that something was up and I didn't know what it was and she just told me because I asked the question. But it, it's just going that extra step, you know, that empathy part. Yeah. I saw a female sitting in a cafe. They've walked into a Mercedes-Benz dealership on a Sunday. We've moved a car, 15 cars to get a almost $400,000 car out. She had to be in that car. So my head was just spinning. I'm thinking, why is she on the lounge? So, so that's an example of A, caring, mm. generally caring. Yeah. B, that equals empathy. In other words, getting an understanding of what's going on. But C, asking the right question. Yeah. The right question. Correct. 
because I actually want to sort of dig into this asking the right question. I want to know what's your experience in perhaps even asking the wrong question. Have you asked the wrong question? Oh, many times. It's a language thing as well. Yes. What, what language do I use? What tone do I use? Yeah, when do I ask the question? When do I approach that individual? Because should I walk up now or wait five more minutes or yeah. whatever? So let's go to the break, come straight back. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm back here with John Rock and I think it's unfair just classify John as a great salesman. I think the art of selling is much more complex than that. Mm. It's broken up lots of parts and we just talked about the importance of empathy and caring or showing you care and actually genuinely caring about someone before you can actually start to sell them something. But John mentioned that it's important to ask the right questions and that's that's a timing thing, et cetera. That's a language thing, a content thing. So the example John was giving was when he asked the lady who was um, actually she was a real buyer and John had to work out whether or not she was a real buyer. In terms of the timing of that question, how do you work out should I approach this individual? I'd go for it. I saw it as soon as they left, I thought they shouldn't leave without her. And there's a method to the madness. I'm trying to sell a car. The car's $384,000 and I actually don't think I'm going to do it without her. So leaving her on the lounge means I don't get the sale. At a minimum, she should be in the car just to be next to a bloke. Mm -hmm. Or at a maximum, she might have been the person who was going to buy the car. Yeah. See, at this stage, I'm thinking he's buying the car and so is my salesperson, obviously. But if that is the case, I know that... My sales person may not know, but I know that he can't buy it without her consent. Mm. If she doesn't experience the car, and let me tell you, that car was a nice car. So I'm pretty sure if she sat in the car, by the time he said, hey, honey, I want to buy this car, she would have thought, yeah, you know what, I've been in it, it's a nice car. You probably should go for it, right? But if she's sitting on the lounge having a coffee, she's not experiencing any of that. So when it comes for me to make them make a decision to buy this car, I need her on my side. She's a, so it's an experiential thing. Yeah. She and needs to experience it. Yes, absolutely. And look, that goes through that evolution process that I use for my sales, uh, road to the sale, as I call it. We call it the evolution process. But he needs me to get her in the car as well. Because let's assume they've had the conversation and she's saying, you don't need a $384,000 Mercedes Benz. Why are we doing this? If she experiences it, 
She likes it. I can help him convince her. Yeah. So I'll, I'll play one off the other or I'll bring them both together, whatever it takes for them to think it's the right car for me and then I'll get paid for what I do. So in terms of timing of asking the question, there's no time except right now. Yeah. Ask the question. In terms of how do you sort of angle yourself into asking the question, like um, you offered her a coffee. Yeah. Is that a, like a, a negotiation position, like offer somebody something? No, it wasn't for me. It was just, look, she was sitting in a cafe. I knew that the coffee that she was drinking, the first one, was finished. So I thought, here's my in. The question probably came late because my salesperson should have asked it and if he had, she'd be in the car. Yeah. So we've made a mistake and I'm looking at it and I've recognised it and it's pretty easy to recognise. We've moved 15 cars to get it out. Off they go. She's not in the car. I'm thinking we've fucked this up. Yeah, totally. It's wrong. So that's that was my trigger. So my in was she's sitting in a cafe, she's finished her coffee, I'm not going to ask her if she wants another one and then I'll get to know her. So it's it's interesting because that's sort of like a, an icebreaker. So mm. it, what's interesting to me about all this is that um, all of these things roll off the back of observation, mm. observing and one profiling. So yep. you get a bit of a profile. You might have two or three options as to which category he or she fits into, or they both fit into. Um, and you and but in terms of being able to do this pro this profiling properly, yeah. Whether it's just one-on-one or whether it's you to a big audience, um, you've got to use observation. Now, that can be – You do. If it's a big audience, that might be more research, might be focus groups, et cetera. Yeah. But if it's one-on-one, it's got to be your observation. Yeah. You can't use a focus group. If I now say to you, John, when you were talking to Chris Smith on 2GB, I think it's 11 a.m. on Saturday mornings yep. or something like That's that. That's right. Yeah, about 11.30, um, yeah. Yeah, around that time, does – Sydney City Toyota Dash Lexus, do they do focus groups to assist you as to what points you should be hitting on? No, no, messaging, I write it all myself. Mes- messaging, no, yeah. no, it's all it's all me and my team. Yeah, yeah, my marketing team. So, what I do is I prepare for the Chris Smith show every Friday after yep. second Friday afternoon. I do it fortnightly, um, and I come up with a topic because I I want to be able to be seen as somebody that knows what they're talking about on that matter, and then you get the crazy callers that call in and. The, uh, the interesting callers and the you know, we had a great call a couple of weeks ago. An old bloke was calling for his next door neighbour who was a nurse, single mum, couldn't find a Corolla because they're a twelve month wait. And um, yeah, I, I I got to like this bloke. This bloke was Ian. Ian was going through cancer, through chemo. And he cared. He's, he cared about her because yeah. being a nurse, he's in his eighties and so is his wife. So she's working this nursing job. She's looking after Ian, the next door neighbour. Ian gives her his car because he can't drive anymore. <laughs> it breaks down. She can't get to work. She needs a new, she wants a new Corolla. Ian rings the radio station. So you're never prepared for these questions. So I said, Ian, I'll take you. That's a Toyota you're looking for. If anybody can help you, I can. I'll take your number offline. I rang him and fell in love with the bloke. He was just a top bloke, right? So I, I said, I'm going to try and do my best to find you a car. Long story short, she's now driving a new Corolla. She didn't have to wait 12 months for. We found a fleet rental company that will give one up. I actually asked them to give one up uh, and they were kind enough to do so. And now she's in a car. So, yeah, but I prepare. for So for everything I do with Chris Smith, I prepare. And if I can help people, the reason I've done that is to try and give something back. It's hard to give back in my industry. Um 
you know, you can't approach business and say, I'm a car salesman, I'd like to give back to community. <laughs> we do a lot of community work and stuff. But I thought, how can I do this best? And I thought, there really isn't anybody you can call on the radio that says, if I've got a contract and I want to get out of it, or I want to get this car and da-da-da-da-da, nobody tells you. They all talk about cars and spec and how fast they are and, you know, EVs and the rest of it and the technology. But I wanted to get down to the basic person that needed help, that they might be, you know, dealing with a dealer but the wrong way or whatever it might be. That's why I did it. I remember when you, um, it was during COVID, I think, I think it might have been last year, I can't remember, the year before. Um, I said, mate, I need a, another Hilux for my farm. Mm. And of course, everyone was saying you can't get them. It's impossible to get brand new ones. But then somehow you rang me back, you said, you've just done a deal with some something in Singapore and you just, well, I can't remember if you bought seven or 70. I can't remember what it was now. Oh, that's, yeah, that was that shipment. There was, um, they were at odd, Bunch of cars and uh, yeah. Toyota was looking for a dealer to take some of them. They were yeah. calling dealers and I think they had 70 cars. I said, I'll take the 70. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, if I hadn't rung you, um, I wouldn't, I would have just said, oh, forget it. I'm not going to bother about it. I won't get it. Yeah. But <laughs> one of the things I, apart from the fact that you, you, you know, you, you were able to get me the car, that I, for which I was very happy, one of the things I thought was fantastic was the way it was delivered. Not only is it about getting new customers and doing the profiling and watching the observations and trying to close the sale? Mm. But it's also about keeping them as a customer. You want them to come back. Yeah, big time. And what you guys do, Sydney City, Toyota and Lexus, is I think I'm an honour to blow smoke up your ass. I just think you're the best in the world at this shit. Thanks, mate. Um, and the way the car was delivered, um, someone rang to make sure it was delivered, um, on time, and, you know, it was all right. I mean, but then I compare it to another time when I when you were at BMW, mm. and I bought a, a, a four drive for my farm, mm-hmm. and the thing blew up. Yeah, remember? I remember it was a second hand X three. I think yeah, it was. Right. Yeah, and yeah, it blew yeah. up. Yep, and you just took the fucking car back. Yeah. Oh, and it's I, embarrassing. And, but well, <laughs> but and and by the way, that. I mean, even though I'd bought cars from you in the past, mm. I, I, I dealt with you at um, BMW, I dealt with you at Lexus before that. Yeah. But that was the day I thought, that's it. I'm, this, if I'm buying a car that John sells, I'm going to get John, I'm going to buy from yeah, John. That's great. That was it. Yeah, great. How important is it for people in the sales industry to make sure that they retain their customers and what are the retention techniques that you think are the most important things? Yeah. Well, whenever I sell a car to somebody, I always think about their next car. I want them to buy their next car, their second, third, fourth and fifth. And in between, I'm going to keep in touch with them. I'm going to invite them to events. I'm going to invite them to dinner. I'm going to catch up with them. Not all of them, but some of them or most of them. Um, but I, I, I try and, yeah, my, my sales team know this about me and they're not as good at, as, at it as I am, but I instill it in them every day that, that car, for example, the, the X3, the if I said up, to yep. you, look, Tough. warranty's out, yeah. it was only three months, you bought it cheap, yeah. like, you know, yeah. I can't help you, um, you wouldn't have said what you just said yeah. about, you know, from now on I'm going to buy. I've never forgotten it. And and that's the reason I did it. Yeah. I did it because, one, it was the wrong car. I didn't know it was going to break down. Mechanically I wouldn't know the front end from the back end of a car, but I know people. Yeah. So I knew that that car had disappointed you and all I had to do is buy the car back and if I lost three, $4,000 in that transaction, knowing that you're going to buy four or five cars off me in the next 20, 40 years, I'm in front. So why would I do that? And that's what the part that customers uh, want to hear 
and businesses need to learn. So if you've got a small business out there, whether it's a cafe, whether it's a restaurant, whatever it is, if the meal's not good, the coffee's not good, throw it away. Give them another one. What's it going to cost you? Yeah. I'll tell you what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you that customer not coming back for a coffee to your coffee shop Plus anymore. who that customer talks to. Exactly, word of mouth. Yeah. So to me, it's all about retention of a customer. So you nurture them through the ownership of the car. So if you need a service, I often say to my customers, if you can't get in for a service, call me. They'll call me and say, look, you booked out for two weeks. I need to get this thing done. I've left it too long already and I'll get them in the next day. If that's what they need, that's what they'll get. So it's about um, the small one percenters and, and you don't need to be the owner of the business to do this. You can be the person serving the coffee and saying to the owner, I'm giving that person a new coffee. And the owner might say, well, why? Trust me. And I empower my guys to do this. So I'll say to them, if, if it's going to cost me less than $2,000, don't ask me the question, just do it. Mm. And my salespeople feel empowered. They do that and that's what keeps customers coming back because they know that they've got a problem, they can call me or three lines of people before they get to me and in most cases the problems are solved anyway because they in, I've instilled in them what I do. But it's so important that I don't think about the sale of that day. That $384,000 car, I'm thinking, wow, if they bought six of those from me, wouldn't that be good? Mm. Over so, a period of time especially. Exactly. And because it costs a lot of money to get a customer. Um, so you might as well retain the one you got. Yeah. Well, and try and get more ones, but like you've got to try and retain what you got. So uh, do you actually run stats around, you know, customer retention, you know, yep. losing customers? Absolutely. How, how does that work? Okay. How, so we, we run stats from the minute somebody walks in the door. So I'll know how many people have walked into my business, how many people have called, how many internet inquiries we've had. We measure it month on month, um, even down to the finance penetration rate. So we get inquiries on finance. So we'll, we'll know how many of the customers that we've spoken to we've sold a car to, uh, or finance to, I should say. So we measure pretty much everything. And we measure it against other dealerships as well. So we'll get information from Toyota um, without naming any names of the deals. They'll just give me the stats for, my, for New South Wales, for example. We'll compare ourselves, what's the benchmark, why are we behind it, why are we in front of it, we must be doing something right or wrong. And we measure all of that. And we drill it down to the individual salesperson. So we'll have situations where we'll say to the salesperson, you need to stop, stop speaking to customers. And they'll just look at you with a strange look on their face and it's because you're burning them. You can't speak to 100. In my industry, one in five is usually the stat. Conversion? Yeah, conversion. So you speak to five people, you're going to sell a car. You could have a salesperson that's spoken to 25, 30 people, hasn't sold a car, well, we're probably too late to get to that salesperson. So we'll drill it down by individual. We'll then sit with the individual at the end of the month, one-on-one with the sales manager, go through their details and pat them on the back if they've done a great job or work on what their weaknesses are. And we know it might be telephone. It might be the fact that they haven't done enough test drives because we measure test drives as well. We measure the length of the test drives. So they're not just driving them around the block, but they've been in the car for half an hour as a minimum is my requirement. You drive them around the block, they're going to come back and think, well, that was a waste of bloody time. What, what do you get to know about a car in five minutes when you're as nervous as hell in a brand new car? And sometimes when they come back for a second test drive, we'll let them go on their own and just experience the car in their own time. So we measure pretty much... Everything. Everything. And you, you're, you've been around a long time, Johnny. So you just mentioned you, you go back to the, at least the 90s when, when we had a recession before. Yeah. A lot of businesses now are facing perhaps a recession, definitely a downturn. Mm. Um, what do you say to, 
your sales team facing a downturn? Now, I don't know if car the car industry is going to have a downturn or not because I, I just don't know, but let's assume there is a downturn yep. for your industry. Yep. Okay, so my evolution process has 10 steps, the road to the sale. But you so, got the book in front of you? Yeah, so I've got my little Bible here in front of me. So evolution is something that I designed years ago. I think this is 21 years old, this, um, this little gadget I've got in front of me. It's basically what I thought was the best way to sell a car from a John Rocker perspective. And if I could instill that in others, they're going to do as well as I am. And I do that with my sales team. So it goes from the meet and greet, how to meet and greet a person. Some people don't even know how to meet a customer at the door. Uh, Hi, can I help you? Oh, mate, I don't really need help, you know. Let them at least look around for two minutes and settle into the place. Don't jump on them. So we go right through to what they're wearing, how they smell, I get my salespeople to remove their shoes to make sure there's no holes in their socks because I've been to customers' homes for a test drive and they ask you to remove their, your shoes hmm. when you walk in the house. And you've got these two bloody toes sticking out of you. So I check socks. So we go to that nth degree. I did the name badge, if I've got a trainee, it'll be John Smith trainee so the customer knows that they're not the most experienced person. And it gives the trainee the, the opportunity to say, I'm a trainee. Yeah. So we've got that road to the sale. We train on that. So back to your question about what happens when things are going tough, I don't see it any different to when uh, we're in boom. So when we're in a recession in sales, we take shortcuts. Everybody's saying no. So it's not one in five anymore, it's one in ten, right? Or you don't get the five. You're only seeing three in a recession. You don't see five customers anymore. So what we do is we panic we're not selling cars, we're demotivated, so we take shortcuts. We don't go through the evolution process from E to N. We go E, T, I, N. We skip steps. And then wonder why we haven't sold the car. It's because we haven't looked after the customer. It's pretty simple. When you're in boom time, you do exactly the same thing. So I'm a real stickler for every step of the evolution No matter process. what. No matter what. And we're in a boom market in our in our business at the moment. Next year, we could have a depression and we've got enough orders in the bank to not have to sell a car to get what we do, we've done this year. So that's you, how strong you're it pre-sold. is. Pre-sold. Pre-sold, everything that's coming in. We've got cars that are sold out for five years. Wow. Five years. What, what sort of car is that? A Camry hybrid, believe it or not. Sold for five you years. Can't, you can't get one for five years. So the person buying that car today is getting the new model. We don't even know what it looks like. So that's how well new cars are going. And that obviously that's pushed up the value of used cars as well. But in a depression or recession that we've gone through, you just go back to basics. It's not, I don't think it's ever any different. Boom, recession or anything in between, I've always used evolution. Yeah, so stick to the program. Yeah, don't try and make fancy amendments. No, it's a playbook. It's yeah. always worked. Yeah. It will always work. It doesn't matter what the environment is doing because when you drill it down to the person that's walking in the door, you still have a customer at a door that wants to buy a car. Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't outside, be there. doesn't matter. Yeah. We could be in a recession. I mean, I remember when we went through the recession in 91, I didn't read newspapers. I wasn't really into the financial side of it. Tonight, Today, I watch Sky News every night. Right, yeah. I'm on top of what I think is going on. But in those days, ignorance sometimes is bliss. And that's how I treat a customer when they walk in the door. I just say, well, on face value, this person's here to inquire about a car, so I'll just go through the evolution process. And if I do that right, I reckon I'm good for three out of five. Once upon a time, 
you were the salesman. Yeah. But now how would you describe your role? So my role is basically to look after the business, make sure that, you know, costs are down and profits are up. But I, I focus on my people. If I, you know, people focus a lot on customer satisfaction. My focus is employee satisfaction. Because if somebody feels like crap and my customer walks in the door, they're going to feel that as well. It. Yeah. So for me, it's ESI before CSI. What's ESI? Employee Satisfaction Index yep. Yep. versus Customer Satisfaction Index. Fix the employee first and you'll get a happy customer if they're doing the right and how, thing. And how do you how do you assess that, ESI? So we'll do a survey internally. Um, I'm, You know what I'm like. I'm on the floor. I sold a Corolla yesterday to people that walked in the door. Um, there was no salesperson available. It was a mother and pregnant daughter. And um, I introduced them to one of my female salespeople who I thought was a good fit. She took them for a test drive. I did the rest. So I know. I look at the colour of their eyes every day. They're in morning meetings. I'll jump in a meeting every now and then. Um, but I'm there every day. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to sell a car. I'm happy to service a car. I'm happy to book a customer in for a service. It's my shop. So I don't treat it as the typical dealer principal that has the boat down at Rose Bay and the horses in the uh, yeah, so down we know the coast. Who I know the guy. I know the guy. <laughs> I know him. <laughs> and make good luck to them, right? Yeah, but yeah. I, I do it because I like doing yeah, it yeah, and, yeah. and I do it for that reason. But I instill that in my guys and my guys are watching me walking around thinking, Shit, if he's still doing that today and he's showing us evolution and I'll wink at them every now and then and say, look, I'm now going for the test drive and, you know, I'm I'm now going to get them the coffee and I'm looking after the kids and I'm going to value their car now at the right time. So that's all, it's a process. What keeps you excited and engaged? The fact that it's so different every day. Um, My business, when you're dealing with people, no day is the same. So the product's the same um, and there are 240 dealers across the country that can sell what I can sell. It owes them the same price. It costs the customer the same price. I do it because the variety of the people that I see and I love watching my guys grow. I just, I've got people in my business that were mechanics that are now general managers. Um, you know, working people through the business and watching them grow as I did, giving people the opportunity I just love watching that. I sit back and I think, wow, you know, I remember hiring him as a driver and now he's running my service department. So things like these, what I get a bit of a thrill out of. You still get engaged or driven or excited or enthusiastic about what you observe. The power of observation is probably your greatest strength. Yeah. Look, I listened to a podcast you did not long ago about statistics and numbers and the rest of it. If you're on the ground level with your people in your business, regardless of what it is, real estate, whatever it might be, those stats are pretty good to reflect on, but they're not going to get you the sale that day. It's uh, it's a pattern and it gives you a little bit of feedback. But if you're not conscious in your own business of what's happening on the floor, you're missing 90% of the opportunity. The stats will only help you with 10 this is interesting when I interviewed Tommy Panos. He's very similar to you. Right. It's about the power of observation. Yeah. And therefore being empathetic. Yeah. He talks about this. And then ultimately asking the right questions. Yes. Of the potential, in his case, he's a real estate guy of the potential vendor. Yes. Uh, and, and the buyer for that matter. Because um, his job is to get inventory. Yeah. His job is to get listings. Correct. Yeah. Um, buyers always come and go, but your job is to get the inventory. Yeah. And Tom's very similar to you like uh he's a great observer in fact he does what you do too he he looks 
look, he doesn't look them up and down, but he, he observes what people are wearing, mm. what their body language is like. Yep. And it seems to me, and, and he does it on a large scale, like he runs sales programs. Yeah. He doesn't sell real estate. He runs sales programs. You are sort of running a sales program. I mean, your evolution um, course or your, you know, your mapped out process of selling, yeah. Yeah. you are running a sales team. Yes. That's your game. Absolutely. And Look, I've done the same thing for Westpac, OPSM, Wealth Advisors. I mean, evolution is so adaptable to any business that I could turn that presentation, regardless of what you're selling, if you are selling, evolution applies. Yeah. And I could I could I could talk to you about it for hours. Selling is selling. Selling really, is selling, yeah. It doesn't really matter yeah. what the product is. And Absolutely. It's, and it's not actually selling. It's about building relationships, uh, being empathetic, yeah. uh, building a bridge. Um, making people feel comfortable and relaxed. Yeah. And probably the most important thing for me anyway, because we're in the mortgage industry, mm. is there's millions of places we can go get a mortgage. Exactly. Making someone like you more than they like anyone and else. And that's what it's all about, right? I, I say to my customers, you can't buy that car at Chatswood. I say, why not? I say, because I don't work there. Yeah. You want to be looked after, you're going to buy it here. Yeah. Right? And if and I you like you, you I'm going to buy from you. Exactly. And people like that. So, yeah. look, at the end of the day, there's no sort of secret to it. It is, it is a process. But if without that empathy piece, I reckon you struggle as a salesperson. You're probably in the wrong game if you don't have that empathy piece. I like that ESI um, employee index. What do you call it? Satisfaction yeah, index. Satisfaction index. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like and having the index and and actually watching it for each employee for all employees and watching. Hopefully, it just keeps going up. But you know, looking for dips. Customer satisfaction surveys are important too. But yeah. I really do think. If you're doing direct sales, like sales to somebody, and yes. ESI is really important. John Rugger, mate, as usual, thanks very much. I mean, I, I'd love talking to you because I learn stuff from you as soon as, <laughs> and I think to myself, hang on, I've got to go do that in my business. Um, I love talking to you. You're a dedicated salesperson. You do have the best Toyota Lexus dealership in the country and Nick will be un, unhappy for me saying that, but <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I do believe you do. And uh, and as you know, I drive both a Toyota and a Lexus. You and do, I'm yeah. very happy about that and uh, they're great cars. And uh, they've served me for a long, long time. And I was a BMW driver because I bought it from you. That's right. <laughs> and I was a Mercedes-Benz driver as well. And I didn't buy that from you, but I ended up buying a Lexus, which you replaced my That's right. Uh, I remember, Benz. yeah. It was the first That's time we met, yeah. Probably like, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago. It was, yeah. Probably over 30 years ago. A long time ago, ago, yeah. ago when yeah. you're down here in William Street. But John Rocker, thanks very much, mate. As usual, um, you've reignited... Um, all those things I thought I knew, you've reignited and brought them all back together in terms of the sales process. And as I said to the previous guest who was in sitting here in that chair in this mm. room, I said, there's that bloke out there. He's the best salesperson in the country. Ah, thanks. You're very kind, mate. But that's the truth. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. And that's why you're here. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Smalley and production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. 
Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.